0: It's time for Heatwave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heatwave Sports Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. In Las Vegas 154. I am Tom Barton TomBartonSports.com, with TomBarton Sports.com. Tim You're going to be joining us in about a half hour or so. Don't worry, you will be here for the NFL portion, which we will certainly get to today. Lots to do today. We have to talk about college football. We've got to get into the NFL. I think something's happening in baseball. Yeah, we have to get into a little baseball as well. Of course, we're gonna take you through two hours of sports talk. We do want to hear from you guys: 876-1340. Hit me up over on Twitter. It's at Tom Barton Sports. You can do it over at HW Sports as well. Guys, we have a huge show today. And look, this is when we start to get into the NFL season where you start to go, okay, look, guys, the season's over for some teams. I mean, you go look at the statistics and in an 0-2 team. You have all the statistics of an 0-2 team if a team goes 0-2. 0 oh, and 3, you go, okay, it looks real bleak, but you could kind of find some teams out there at 0-3, uh, that that you know in the past have done it. Oh, and four, you're done. I mean, look, you might be done anyway, but you're done. And forget about not only 0-4, you're done. How about the idea of one and three doesn't look very good? On the flip side, you go three and oh, four and oh, even three and one. You're in the driver's seat. Look, we're in a different atmosphere here. So you could go back. This would be the time where we sit back and we go, okay, we're one quarter through the season. We're one fourth through the season, basically. Um, Now you got an extra game. So it's not really, but, but we are. And it sounds weird to say that we're a quarter way through the season. And unless you're Bill Belichick, it actually matters. Bill Belichick takes the first four games and says, I'm just kind of playing around with them, or at least he did in the past. This is an NFL season that we've seen a ton of upsets. We are looking at the home dogs are hitting at 65%. We have seen a ton of upsets. We've seen a ton of unders in primetime games. We've seen uh, just a lot of shakeup. And now we have to kind of prepare ourselves where, you know, forget about what we thought coming in. These teams just are what they are. Forget about what you guys all thought about the Jacksonville Jaguars. I told you I thought they were going to be contenders this year. Told you I thought they were going to win the division. We have to consider, okay, wait a minute, at 3-1, and one, they are an actual contender. They actually can win this division. Forget about what you thought about the Raiders. Oh, they're going to win the division. The division is gone for the Raiders. Doesn't mean that they can't sneak back in, but the division's gone right now. And if they don't win tomorrow, the playoffs are gone. The playoffs might be gone already. So you can't look at the season and talk about what these teams were supposed to be or what these teams were. We got to look at the, what we're looking at in front of our face. And the same thing goes for players. I hear people out there, well, this guy is going to do this, or this guy is going to do that. Look, if they haven't done it yet, I think it's fair to say maybe what we're watching is as important as the reality, right? Derek Henry looks like he's not going to be that guy this year. Oh, can he still have a good season? Of course, he doesn't look like that guy. Trevor Lawrence on the other side looks like, well, you know what? He might be that guy this year. Marcus Mariota is looking good in his role. So around the league, what we're doing is is we're kind of reassessing here after three weeks. And specifically after tomorrow, we've got to reassess and say, forget about what we thought, what we believed over the summer, what we we took six months. And that's the hard thing. Look, early in the season, it's hard for betters to change. And it's hard for sports fans to change. And it's even harder for people that are rooting for your team to change your perspective on a team that since February, you've been thinking the same thing. Since February, you're going, okay, this is what my team is going to be this year. This is what I think that team is going to be. And then they go through the draft, then they go through free agency, and it either strengthens or loosens your grip on what you think the team is. And then you go months, three, four months of believing what this team will be. After three games, though, we have to reassess what that team might be. We'll get into that. And we'll get into each and every one of those games. Got a couple of good games that I'm liking tomorrow, that's for sure. On the college football front, yeah, we can touch on that. Look, we have had a huge shakeup of college football this weekend. Teams that lost inside the top 25. And you guys know how I feel about preseason rankings. They mean nothing. But it is interesting to note. Teams that lost inside the top 25 this week. The 7th ranked team, 10th ranked team, 15, 16, 17, 18, 20, 21, 23, 24. All lost. Can you? I mean, out of the top 25 teams, you're talking about 10 of the top 25 teams lost. And you can say, well, some of them lost to a top 25 team. Sure, they still lost. Number 13, Oregon, looks like they're probably going to be in good shape. They're up 31 3 at the half. We'll keep you up to date on that score. USC might be in a little trouble, though. Fourth quarter, 28 17 lead. Um, Arizona State giving them all they can handle here. Caleb Williams has looked good, but Arizona State has looked just as impressive. And. and Again, it doesn't have to be a loss here, but you start to think about how do these teams play? Alabama had a scare today. Georgia had a scare today. Um, Pitt went down completely. I mean, it, it it was a a weird kind of day of college football, so we can get to that. Congratulations to the UNLV Rebels. Uh, they got another win. I made money on the other side. Sorry, the spread was too big. I made money on the other side of that one, but congratulations on the Rebels. This was a game that I thought could be a trip-up game. I, I thought national TV... I believe that when you look at their opponent, they could overlook them a little bit. Uh, UNLV being, being a little high on their horse. And, and I got to give them credit. Look, before the year began, I said, I think UNLV could win five games if everything breaks right. Six, I could see them being a four-win team. And that, that was kind of my assessment. UNLV has not really changed my mind here. I still think that they are a six, five, six-win team. If everything breaks right, I don't see them winning eight nine games. Right? I mean, they're still in that range of outcomes. I went with five. I said maybe it could be six. It could have been four. That that's the range of outcomes. So if they go out there and they win six, I, I'm in that range. I know a lot of you guys are getting overexcited. Me and Tim talk about it all the time. You get just crazy about. Well, they're going to win eight nine games. I, I, I don't think you you understand what's going on, right? I mean. They are playing well, but it's their competition. And you have to look at the other teams. We often do this, and this isn't just UNLV fans. We often do this in sports. We, we do this in life. We, we have tunnel vision about what's going on around us. And we go, okay, well, well my team is, is doing this. Well, what about the teams that you're playing, right? I mean, because the teams that are coming up on their schedule are actually playing pretty well. The teams that they're going to have to face in a four- and five-game stretch that that will really test them are playing well. You want to sit back, you want to give me a call and to convince me that UNLV is an eight-win team? Listen, I, I'm listening to your argument. I just don't think it holds any water right now. I still think that they are the team that we all thought maybe with one extra win. You look at what the UNLV Rebels are and what they, they have done. You can't take away that, look, they're having a good year. I, I You just simply can't take away I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I can't be excited for them. I mean, I'm excited for them. I'm excited for what they've done. I think it's been a really good year for UNLV. That, that That's not taking away the idea. I don't think they're winning eight games. They have four wins right now, guys. Okay? And here's the reality of the situation. I don't know if your sport's better or not. It doesn't matter. They will be underdogs for the next five games. Now, can you pull it upset as an underdog? Sure you can. But they will be underdogs in the next five games. They'll be underdogs against San Jose State. Underdogs against Air Force, underdogs against Notre Dame and Notre Dame, underdogs against San Diego State and San Diego State, underdogs against Fresno State. Which brings you to Hawaii, Nevada, which means you're going to have to sweep the board with Hawaii and Nevada to get into the postseason. It's nearly identical to exactly what we discussed, myself and Tim, before the season. If that happens, now look, if the UNLV Rebels can steal a game against San Jose State, can steal a game, maybe Air Force at home trips them up, maybe Fresno State. If they can steal one of these games out of the next five, okay, I think you're going to the postseason. If you could steal two of these games over the next five, yeah, okay. Look, now you're talking to me. You steal two of these games over the next five, maybe we could have that eight-win conversation. But I got to see it first. And I'm just being a realist here with UNLV. You can't be impressed with Idaho State. Oh, look, you're impressed with the outcome. 52 points, it's 52 points. You're impressed with that. But are you impressed with beating a team like Idaho State? No, you, you can't be, right? So they did what they had to do. Idaho State hasn't won a game. Hasn't won a game, right? And I told you after they won that, let's see what they do against San Diego State. Uh, they got blown up by 31 points there, too. So uh, you can't go, oh, well, that, that team looks great. Against Cal? Hey, that was a good game and a loss. I was more impressed with the Cal loss than I was... <laughs> With the, the win in the first game, okay? But Cal, listen, what did they do? You know, they lost to Washington State. They lost to Notre Dame. Uh, they, they've beaten UC Davis, UNLV, and Arizona. Eh, but I'm impressed with, with what they did. North Texas, another game. I actually thought that that game would be uh, a challenge for them. I was wrong there. Utah State won by 10. New Mexico won by 11. Again, your favorite, uh, your favorite last night by 14.5 points. One by 11. So you're impressed with the outcome of the W. But you can't sit back and look at this team and say, okay, this is the eight. They didn't play like an eight-win team last night. 14 and a half-point favorites. They didn't cover the spread. They didn't play like an eight-win team last night. They got the win, but they didn't play like that. They didn't play like an eight-win team against Utah State. They didn't. They they played like an eight-win team in the first three games of the season. So now San Jose State is everything. And then we can sit back and have a conversation about where this team is after they go out there and beat San Jose State, all of a sudden, I think that changes things. San Jose State is a good team. It's on the road, which UNLV has historically just had massive problems with. San Jose State has one loss on the year. They lost to Auburn, at Auburn, by a, a touchdown. It, I mean, that is an impressive loss. Now, they struggled with Portland State in the first game, Did have had no problem with Western Michigan, and, and really cleaned up on Wyoming on the road. San Jose State is better than what people are, are giving them credit for. And I think Air Force is as well. I called Air Force before the year. I said, you know, just that style. The style of play just is not conducive to what UNLV does well. I know they had a tough game today, but they got a W against Navy, beat up on Nevada. They have one loss on the year, and it was at Wyoming by three points in week three. You know, Air Force is a troubling game as well. But if you could take two of the next five, we could talk about big things for UNLV, but until that time, I'm telling you guys, as a a fan that's that wants them to succeed, I'm not a UNLV fan. You know that's sitting there in the stands or with you guys. I know that, but I want them to succeed because it gives me more to talk about. It gives me happy people on the radio listening to me, right? So I want them to succeed. I just want you guys to pump your brakes. I need you to pump your brakes because what happened last night was a great W. Like I said, I bet against the team. They covered. The, the team that I bet on, New Mexico, covered. Why? Because UNLV didn't play like a team that was a postseason team. At home, giving more than two touchdowns. They won, but it was close at times. So pump the brakes. It's a good win. is having a good season. but The next five games is what we all highlighted as being their trouble spots and their uh-oh moments. That San Jose State game is going to be absolutely fantastic. And you know what's cool about it? I'm coming back to town. So I'll be back. Uh, I'll be back to town this weekend. Um, I'm going to be sitting there watching this one. You know, this is a game where I will be glued to the TV because I want to see if you know these real or not. Are they for real? All right. Look, I know that we have a lot of college football to go over. I, like I said, I'll keep you up to date on the scores. You are USC. Just scored 35, 17. Now 10 minutes to go. They're probably going to hang on here, but you got to give Arizona state a little bit of credit for giving them some fight. Um, usc's number six team in the country i don't see it uh but listen you know they just keep winning so we'll keep you up to date on that and we can we can get into college football if you guys want to talk about it but i've got to take a minute here and say congratulations to aaron judge this is the most historic baseball season we've ever seen period and i say we've ever seen because i am including most people that are not like 90 years old. if you're like 90 something years old you want to talk about, you know, one of those uh, Ted Williams season in, in 1941, right? Um, okay, you got an argument. But outside of that, I can, by the way, I can still argue that there's the greatest, this is the greatest season that we've ever seen from a player. Um, it's a dead stop. There are the, the, the people out there that are talking about Otani. Otani's a DH that pitches 30 games, 25 games a year. But he's a DH. What Aaron Judge is doing is absolutely mind-boggling. And I am not sitting here only talking about the home runs, which we'll get to in a moment. No, I'm not. I'm talking about the fact he's having the greatest year for a center fielder in the history of baseball, the guy six foot eight, he's a center field. There's a chance he can win the gold glove this year. I don't think they will give it to him, but he'll be in the discussion. That's how well he's played in center field. That's how well he's played as a center fielder. He has batted first the majority of this season. It's the greatest leadoff season in the history of baseball. He's got 16 steals, guys. Okay? 130 runs, 130 RBIs. Notice I didn't mention the home runs because you don't have to with him. If Aaron Judge hit 40 home runs this season, it would still be one of the greatest center field seasons. But add the 62 and add the fact that he's going for a triple crown. He's going for a triple crown in a year, ladies and gentlemen, where they aren't giving him anything to hit for the last month. Anybody watch today's cut-ins in the college football game? They didn't give him a, a pitch to hit. Walk, 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 walk all day. And that's what it's been. Yet, his batting average is able to kind of hang in there. He's two percentage points down from a triple crown. And I know we saw Miguel Cabrera get the triple crown in our lifetime. That wasn't anything like this season. Nothing, nothing like this season. We've watched a lot of good players over the course of the years. This is the greatest season we've ever seen. The MVP should not only go to Aaron Judge without a question. It should be unanimous. There shouldn't be one vote to go to one player. And I'm looking directly at you, Shohei Otani voters. Otani's having a nice season. It's a very good season, and in a lot of situations, I would say, you know what, he could get the MVP. Not against a historically great, maybe the greatest season of all time, offensively. Offensively, I mean, it, it's you—you you can really truly sit back and say, offensively, it's the greatest season since the '50s. I, I mean, just or, or just just looking at some pure statistics, it may be even better than that. It might be. You talk about things like war. And I'm bringing up batting average. You know the, the, the nerd heads out there. It's right? stat heads are going to go, oh, come on. Look at war. Aaron Judge is dominating in war. Because what he does in the field actually matters. He's a good defensive player. He has batted first in that lineup. He has batted second in that lineup. He has batted third in that lineup. In a lineup on a first-place team, oh, by the way, in a lineup where Anthony Rizzo has missed substantial time. DJ LeMayu has missed substantial time. Gleyber Torres couldn't hit his way out of a paper bag for most of the season. Josh Donaldson still can't hit his way out of a paper bag. IKF, yeah, I have more home runs than him. You look at the, the catching situation. Who do you want to go with? Hishiaka Oka or Trevino? All right, I mean, come on. They're batting 7th and 8th in every order in the country. Stanton's missed massive time this year um Aaron Hicks is batting whatever 220 something he's garbage he's surrounded by injuries he's surrounded by teammates that have not produced this year he's put this team on his back it's not only that Aaron Judge has 62 home runs it's not only he's going for the triple crown it's not only that his numbers are eye-poppingly insane it's not just the war It's not just that he plays a terrific center field. It's not that he's batting number one. No, it's all of it combined. And then he has more game winning hits this year than anybody else on a first place team. This matters. It matters. He's having the greatest season we've ever seen. The end. Now you get into the 62 home runs. Okay, so that. The chase that we're looking at, right? The chase for 62. Do I think he's going to get there? Yeah, I do. I, I mean, I don't like what I've seen over the course of the season, but, but, but I do. I, I love the idea that Roger Maris's Jr. did not take the PC way out. We live in a world where PC has just brought down everything that we've done. The PC world is is horrible. It's leading in a terrible direction. No matter who brought us here, we all know who did. No matter who brought us here, the PC world is is terrible, okay? Um, And and every now and then you have somebody that stands up and they stand up and they say the truth. And they stand up and they say, what is just basic for everybody? They stand up and they say, what the majority of people are thinking, but they won't say. And we go, "Oh, oh, no, grasp the pearls. Oh, I can't believe he said it. I'm very happy that Roger Maris said what he said. And Roger Maris Jr., in case you guys didn't don't know, basically I'm paraphrasing him here because he, he he has settled quite a bit. Is that baseball needs to recognize Aaron Judge if he hits 62, if he hits 62, as the all-time leader in home runs for, for Major League Baseball. Because Bonds and Sosa and McGuire do not count. And any real baseball fan out there knows they don't count. None of them count. And what, we know that. It's a farce, it's a joke. It has been uh, it's taken away from the beauty of what Aaron judge is. And this is the greatest accomplishment in sports that we've seen over the, over my lifetime, for sure. I think Roger Maris also feels slighted that he stood there and he shook hands with Mark McGuire and, and he was there and supportive and, and was spit in the face of Mark McGuire, just like every baseball fan had been. And I don't want to hear about, well, everybody tried this and uh, all the pitches were on that. No, 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 no. Stop that. This is a historic record that means something. And this is pure power record. This isn't – the argument of people taking steroids against non-people taking steroids has been officially closed. We know that players that took steroids improve their statistics immensely. And you can tell me, oh, the pitchers were not everybody was. And right now, I think the game is relatively clean. I think the game is, is as clean as we've seen it, or even as clean as it'll get, Okay. Um, so I, I'm okay with that. And I think we all knew that that chapter of the book needed to be closed, but Roger Maris saying it and calling out major league baseball. Yeah, I, I get it. He's got unbiased, of course, but this is the same major league baseball that you sit back and you go, yeah, you guys are, are putting in Bud Sealing in the hall of fame. You're putting David Ortiz in the hall of fame. So you can't have it both ways. Major league baseball is in a position where they don't glorify bonds. And Sosa and Maguire because of obvious reasons yet you keep the record up there. Yeah. You know, there was a thing called an asterisk with Roger Maris. I believe that there should still be one there, but I also believe that the steroid guys should absolutely be highlighted as, okay, look, that was an error where things went wrong. There was an error where we got it wrong. Things went wrong. We got it wrong. Um, but oh by the way the, here's the real record and the real record should be aaron judge if he gets there but the re- reality is this and i'm going to take a veered off turn off the turnpike to tell you that the real record is babe ruth with 60 and now aaron judge with 60. that is the real record ladies and gentlemen. Nobody's talking about this and it's breezed over because everybody loves Roger Maris. We love the movie 61. We like the idea that for 61 years, 61 stood. We like the the idea that it was such an iconic number. Roger Maris had eight more games to do it than Babe Ruth. And before I get on my soapbox about how ridiculous it is to compare one thing to another, anybody that wants to say, well, we don't know if Babe Ruth would have hit more, they only played a World Series. In 1927. So you go right to the World Series, there's no playoffs. Babe Ruth played four games in the World Series, hit two more home runs. So at the very least, at the very least, Babe Ruth has 62. At the very least. Chances are, you give him four more games, probably would have hit one or two more. At his pace that he was, he had a home run every 11.7 at-bats. You assume he's going to get to 63, probably 64 at that point. Babe Ruth was red hot at the end of the year. Aaron Judge tied Babe Ruth's 60 mark. Roger Maris Jr. came out here and said, look, the real home run king should be Aaron Judge if he hit 62. We have to say that's 62 and 162. And for all of you people out there that are going, ah, Tom, you're just a purist. What are you, what are you talking about? Look, we, we know that baseball holds certain numbers up to accountability, right? Certain numbers are bigger than most. Certain numbers are are just better. But let's break it down for other sports, okay? Let's just break it down for other sports. Major League Baseball added eight games. Those eight games absolutely mattered. Roger Maris hit it after those eight games, right? Um, The NFL just added a 17th game. The all-time leading leader, uh, league leader for home runs right now. I'm sorry, for uh, touchdowns right now. it's It's like the home run leader, right? 55 Peyton Manning. So, if somebody gets 56 this year. Should we say, okay, well, no, it's, it's perfectly fine? Or should we acknowledge that he got a full game extra to do it? Should we acknowledge that? Yeah, we absolutely should. Should we acknowledge? I know a lot of you guys are out there that listen to the show and don't love basketball, but let's talk about basketball. What's the most iconic number in basketball? 100, right? Will Chamberlain got 100 points. Well, what if they added a fifth quarter? Right, They ended a fifth quarter to an NBA game. A fifth quarter, you get another 12, 15 minutes to play. And somebody hits 100 points. Do you think we should look at that in the same respect? So oftentimes, it it is looked at in a bubble. And it's what I was talking about about football. People look at it in a bubble. And I think Roger Maris, while he is right, Babe Ruth still should have it. Hank Aaron is a guy that you look at and you go, okay, well, he had, he had a million more at-bats, but nobody mentions that. Okay, well, that's different because he was able to obtain them. No, no, no. this is not being able to play in eight extra games for Babe Ruth. Roger Maris Jr. was very right about the steroid guys. Roger Maris Jr., I love that he is out there and he's calling out the steroid heads and he's saying to Major League Baseball, correct this problem. Make this the record. Fix what you did I love that he's out there. But hey, Roger, your father should still have an asterisk next to his name. He should. You can't have it both ways. If you're going to call out the real home run leader, well, then that means something as well. The beauty about what Aaron Judge is doing to put a bow on this is that he's both. He tied B Ruth, for 60 home runs, and he did it in 154 games. He now has 61 home runs, and if he hits 62 in the next few days, he will be the all-time leader, and he does it in 162 games. No matter what metrics you use, Aaron Judge is the single-season home run leader. Aaron Judge is having one of the greatest seasons in the history of baseball. Guys, at the end of the day, Aaron Judge not only is he the MVP, he's the unanimous MVP. All right, let's take a quick timeout. Come on back. When we do, we're going to get into a lot more football. Tim Unglesby is going to join me on the other side. Back right after this on Heat Wave Sports.
1: Here's Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. And yeah, We're back here. Saturday night, Las Vegas, Heat Wave Sports. Fox Sports Radio. Tim Unglesby, Tom Barton. Tommy taking the first segment of the show and uh, doing his, his thing. Of course, talking college football and about Mr. Aaron Judge. And, Tom, you know what this means now. It's week four. We're going to go game by game, get everybody ready for tomorrow. And you said it at the beginning of the show about how we start to, you know, even though it's only week four of whatever, 18, really the the, the process of Who's in the playoffs? You can you can really look at it from the standpoint of if you're a team like our hometown Raiders. Oh, and three is bad enough. You go down tomorrow, there is no playoffs.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's sell the season time, right? Oh, and four, you sell the season. Uh, one and three, in three, you're, you're kind of done. Also, what about overreactions? Though,
1: you know, when you look at basically. And I've heard a lot in, in the uh, not only in the press but but on the shows of Raider Nation Radio. I mean, you would think guys are running around the street with their hair on fire? Did we lose Tim? Right no, I'm here. Can you hear me?
0: I can't hear you. I got you now. Go ahead. I was saying, that, you know,
1: listening to the local press and media, you think guys are running around the street with their hair on fire? Is so far the McDaniel sucks. This team is terrible. Devontae Adams is, is pissed off. You know overreaction is all it is right Tom but you lose tomorrow at home to Denver you better be overreacting because like you said the season's at that point
0: basically done I mean look let's just be real here Tim lay the cards on the table the season's done as it is um the division is done I do not think in a stacked ridiculous AFC that you're climbing back into a playoff race with the schedule that you have in front of you no so I don't consider it overreaction again because I looked at the Raiders and I said, I, I think they're about an eight or nine win team. I I can have them backing into a playoff spot. It depends on what you believe this team would be. Here's the thing. McDaniels is going to tell everybody, well, it's a culture change, right? McDaniels is going to tell everybody, well, uh, that's what it is. Oh, you know, it's going to take a year to, to kind of have a culture change. This is the MO of McDaniels though, right? We've seen him fail all over the league. We've seen him as the head man Fail. It's not something that is unusual to anybody that's been paying attention.
1: Well, we might as well start with this one since we're talking about it already. Tommy, this one here in Vegas, the Stadium, the Raiders, the Broncos. Denver, uh, very, very lucky, I would say, Tom, to have two wins right now, but they do. Two and one. The Raiders are zero and three. The Raiders are a two-and-a-half-point favorite over at FanDuel tomorrow. What do you think is going to happen here?
0: Tim, you know, it, it's kind of funny when you look at teams like this and you go, okay, let, let's evaluate their units, right? Uh, oh, that sounded bad. But let, let's evaluate. <laughs> right? The Raiders are struggling on offense, okay? They rank 32nd in the NFL in, 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 in rushing attempts. They're struggling on their defense. They're in 26 against the pass on defense. The The Broncos... Look, they look terrible on offense, but the defense is legit. I mean, the defense might be one of the best in the NFL right now. You look at the Broncos right now and you go, that's the only thing that I can count on. If you're going with the Raiders or you're betting the Raiders or you're thinking that the Raiders are going to win, what are you banking on? Are you banking on an offense that can't succeed or defense can't succeed? Because what are you betting on? And that that that's kind of the reality of what we have standing in front of us. The Broncos have not looked good. They haven't looked good. But the Broncos are 2-1, and one, and albeit a, a fumble on the goal line twice on the one-yard line against Seattle, or else they would be 3-0. and oh. And we have to look at how they get to there, not just that they got there. This is a tremendous Broncos defense. It's going to give the Raiders fits all day. I don't believe in either one of these offenses, but I don't have to if I believe in the Broncos defense.
1: Yeah, they're winning in spite of Nate Hackett. And because that defense is so strong, you know, Russell's not gonna play. Well, you would you would hope to think that Russell's not gonna play this way the rest of the year, but I saw glimpses in that, that game last week, Tommy, of him kinda coming out of of that uh offensive woes that he's in. And and you know, Williams hasn't exactly gotten off. Gordon carried him last week. Once he once Williams does start running the ball effectively, Tom, they're gonna be dangerous. And I think everybody just expects the Raiders to, to roll over on the Denver team tomorrow and that, that's a big mistake, a very big mistake. You can't hope, I, I guess you can't hope that all of a sudden you can just snap your fingers and all of a, you're going to put up 35 and win easily. They got to do it first, and there's a lot of problems there mentally for the Raiders right now.
0: Patrick Santane is one of the best cornerbacks in the league. If they put him one on one against Devontae Adams, it's going to be a struggle all day. Uh, the, the Broncos, look, I understand it. Look, they're 0 6 against the spread the last six in Las Vegas, they're 1 8 against the spread the last nine meetings total. They have not had a good time against Vegas at all. But it's new ownership, it's new leadership, it's new uh, new uh, ownership of the team. Meaning, uh, you know, it's a, it's a new culture for both of these guys. The Raiders secondary has allowed 260 plus passing yards in every single game. If there is a game that Russell Wilson will break out, it's going to be against this bad, flat out bad Raiders pass defense. Now, you mentioned Williams and you mentioned uh, Gordon. Oh, Williams hasn't broken out, but he's still one of the best tackle uh, breaking tackle guys in the league. He ranks fourth right now. His average yards per carry is actually fantastic. But they're not going to need him because this is going to be one of those passing games. Russell Wilson smiling ear to ear. Th- this could be the Russell Wilson breakout game, and it's against a division opponent. It's on a big stage. It is in a situation where nobody seems to be, like you said, nobody seems to be giving the Broncos any credit. Uh, I, I, I'm i worried about the Raiders tomorrow. Can the Raiders win? Sure, because Russell Wilson looks lost out there. And uh, between two completely and utterly inept head coaches, between McDaniel and Hackett, I actually think McDaniel is a better head coach than Hackett, which is amazing. Uh, but the reality is, is that this Raiders pass defense is just really, really bad, Tim. have Sports, week four, NFL Preview Criminals,
1: Tom Barden with you. Let's stay with the afternoon games: New England, well, Tim, we have a, Tim. Tim, Tim yeah. we have
0: a game going off in seven hours.
1: <laughs> yeah, that that is that is a little crazy. The, the London game. We'll get we'll get to that one, Tommy. You know, you know, you might as well just stay up for it. So,
0: yeah, seriously.
1: <laughs> Staying with the uh, the afternoon matchups: New England, at Lambeau, Green Bay take on the Packers. Patriots one and two, the Packers two and one last week. New England falls short against Baltimore. Green Bay uh, defeats Tom Brady and the Bucks, and now Tom Brady's old team coming coming to
0: Wisconsin to take on the Packers. They are a nine and a half point favorite tomorrow. Yeah, nine and a half. I've seen it up to ten. It's going to be Brian Hoyer in there for the Patriots. And look, I get it. You know. You look at this situation and you go, the Packers are 8-2 against the spread last 10 at, at, at Lambeau. We watch them take on the Bears at Lambeau and absolutely dominate that game. I get it. And if you're in a survivor pool pick, taking the Green Bay Packers makes a ton of sense. It, it, it just does. I get that too. Ladies and gentlemen, 75% of the money is coming in on Green Bay as a double-digit favorite, and the number has dropped. Right? Both of these teams have terrible offenses. Just because Aaron Rodgers is back there doesn't mean he hasn't played well this year because he's played terribly. They, but Neither one of these teams have an offense that ranks inside the top 10. The Patriots are averaging 12 points per game. The Packers, 17 points per game. I mean, I, I mean, what are we doing here? It's not like they they are this dominating team, okay? You also look at Green Bay and you say, all right, they are at home. That's great, right? But they're doing it a lot Um with with the turnovers. The Patriots have turned the ball over, second most in the NFL. I don't think that's going to be a Brian Hoyer thing. I don't expect much out of Hoyer, but I think he's going to be able to contain the ball. And I think they found something last week in Ramond Stevenson. He's somebody that I look at and I go, yeah, you know, you, you expect it to kind of be close. The Patriots, by the way, 52 and 31 is underdogs, but we know a lot of that was with Brady. But here's the interesting thing, okay? Because you look at a big line like this and your instant reaction is, Oh, it's the Packers at home. You know, they they should cruise. And then the people that like the Patriots are going, ah, it's a big number. Five of the seven losses um, last week came by at least nine points. Ten of the last 17 losses by New England after Brady has left has come by more than this spread, Tim. So when the Patriots are losing, they're losing big. I just can't do it. I, I cannot lay this price against Belichick with what I have watched in the Packers, which is we want to run the ball, we want to play defense. The total has gone down from 42 and a half down to 40 in some spots, which means it's going to be a tight game. I, I I think that both teams don't mind running the ball. And I I I'm looking at this and I'm going, I'm getting almost double digits with Belichick. Yeah, I'm going to lean that way.
1: We know how you feel about double digit points in the NFL. When you're right there on the borderline nine, nine and a half, ten. Does it sway you in any, any sort, or are you already decided that you're not going to lay the 10, you're not going to lay the 9.5 or 9 either?
0: Yeah, it's just a game that I, I just generally don't like. Um, if it got, you know, it opened up at 10.5, and that, that was an attractive number to me. I mean, that, that crosses that key number of 10. At 9.5, I know it shouldn't make that much of a difference, but it does. Look, I didn't love the game either way. Because, again, I see what the problems are in New England. I understand it's Brian Hoyer. I understand they've been beaten by 17 losses since Brady has left. Ten of them have gone by more than nine points. I know that this is not the same team that we're used to. But I've watched Green Bay. I watched every snap of every game Green Bay's played this year. And I'm just not impressed. I'm not impressed at all. So I I didn't like this game. But I certainly liked it more at 10.5 than I do at 9.5. Only three afternoon games
1: Tomorrow. The third one will be a battle of one and two teams. Arizona traveling to Tommy's old neck of the woods, North Carolina, to take on the Panthers. And in this one, Tom, the Cardinals, a a one-and-a-half-point favorite, road favorite
0: there at Bank of America Stadium. You know, this is one of those games, Tim, that uh, uh, until you start doing research, you're all over the Cardinals, right? I love it. I'm on the Cardinals. Are you kidding me? I love it. Uh, uh, Come on. And then I started doing research, and I'm going, ooh, You know, I watch in the games and I'm going, Panthers are playing well. Brian Burns is playing well. They're dropping defensive ends into coverage. They had Jeremy Chin two games ago playing inside the box last week. He had a huge game. They had him as a roving kind of player. They lost two of their games this year by a combined five points. The Panthers are playing well for what they're doing, which is just hold everybody close. And you look at the Cardinals and you go, Murray has been held to under six yards per pass attempt in every game this year. That, that's terrible. Less than 10% of all his passes, Tim, are going for more than 20 yards downfield. Down he's just not pushing the ball. And for his running average, he's averaging 3.3 carries uh, for 22 yards. His main attribute is using his legs and the threat of his legs. He's basically running the ball three times for about 22 yards per game. That is not enough for the defenses to pull off and go, oh, we got to watch this guy. No, you don't. But how can you go out there and have any kind of conference in a Panthers offense that have yet to reach 300 yards in a game? It's the worst in the NFL, the only team in the NFL to not reach 300 yards in a the game. There is just straight up no offense whatsoever for Carolina. And I like the way their defense is playing. So you get into one of those positions. Do you expect Murray on the road, early game, flying across the country to kind of reinvent what he was last year? Because we haven't seen it in three games yet of, of, of what Murray is. Or do you expect the Panthers to keep playing the way that they have, which is close, tight, good games? I think you have to lean the Panthers here. But my initial reaction, guys, was the same as many people that are listening to this. I love the Cardinals. Still, so I started digging deep. Yeah, I like, I like Carolina at home with the points. And you mentioned Chin. He had a hell of a game
1: last week against, against the Saints uh, pick. Sack, batted down passes, eight tackles. But I think the thing that we really looked at in that win over New Orleans, Tommy, with, with the Carolina team was that uh, you know, Baker Mayfield didn't exactly he hasn't he hasn't looked I wouldn't I wouldn't say I guess the word would be good. He hasn't looked good in the first three games, but he didn't have to, have to last week because we saw uh, what was the first big question after two weeks was where's Christian McCaffrey? Well he showed up last week, Tom, one hundred and eight yards on twenty five carries. I expect them to so do a little more out of the backfield with them tomorrow and uh, just grind the ball out. You got to, you know, that's the thing about Murray. You want to keep them off the field. So let's grind the game out. And I think that's how Carolina gets the W.
0: Yeah. I, look, I, I can't disagree with you. I, I, my pendulum is fully swung to the Panthers. My problem I keep going back to, you mentioned McCaffrey. You can talk about Baker. The problem I keep going back to, Tim, is very simply, you have not had 300 yards in three games. <laughs> I, you know, they haven't played the elite of the elite. They play the Saints. They played the Giants. 300 yards is not that difficult. G- guys should be going well over 300 yards. They, they, I can't trust their offense um, enough to put money on this game, but I definitely lean the Panthers with you. Robbie Anderson, big week one, quiet since. Chanel Jr.,
1: Smith, Ricci. That, that, these are the guys, Tom, that we're worried about because that's that's – that's the offense there, minus McCaffrey.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You you have McCaffrey, DJ Moore. Where is he? What what happened to him? And you could all blame it all on Baker Mayfield. And a lot of people will just blame it all on Baker Mayfield. But reality is, it's a full team effort to be this inept. Let's look at the Sunday nighter:
1: Kansas City at Tampa, Mahomes versus Brady. Tommy, both teams two and one on the season. Both teams lost last week. We just talked about. Tampa taking the loss against the Packers. And then the Chiefs go to Indianapolis and lose straight out. We were both questioning the line last week with the Chiefs, just a five-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. Well, that's why you got to watch that upset, right, Tom, as they, they end up losing that game straight
0: out. This one's a uh, damn near a pick when you look at tomorrow night's game. Yeah, you know, you look at this game, and, and let's just make believe Tom Brady isn't Tom Brady. And you look at the Bucs and you go, what, what kind of team are they? All right, they're going to run the ball all day with Leonard Fournette. Their receiving core is banged up. None of that changes. They have a weak offensive line, but their defense is absolutely fantastic, Tim. You simply can't run on the defense. That's number one. And the Chiefs don't really care. Okay, no problem. We can't run on you. But the Bucks' defense overall has just been a fantastic unit this year. They, they are tremendous. And people are looking at this team still as the Buccaneers that we knew the last couple of years. That's not the case. This is a defense-first, run-first team that will drain the clock and frustrate teams. The problem is they have a weak offensive line, so they're not getting the credit. Tom Brady looked good in the second half last week. Now, a lot is going to be put on to Tom Brady because, of course, he's Tom Brady. But when you do have a bad offensive line, everyone knows you're going to run the ball and you have no receivers. Well, these things happen. Tomorrow night, Chris Godwin is supposed to suit up Mike Evans will be back. This is an offense I can see adding that passing element to this game and all of a sudden kind of jumping out there and stunning the Chiefs. 80% of the people are on the Chiefs, and I get it. Look, the Chiefs have looked good. Even in a loss to Indianapolis, they should not have lost that game. It was because they didn't have Harrison Bucker. They have a backup kicker there. That's the only reason they lost that game. Let's just be real. The Bucs, by the way, they have had a, a tradition here since Brady's been here of bouncing back after a loss. They're 8-2 against the spread the last 10 games following a loss. So they don't usually have a string of losses in a row. Everybody's looking at the Chiefs, and I get every reason why. The Chiefs are healthy. Mahomes has looked good. Kelsey's still Kelsey. Uh, and the Bucs have a myriad of problems. But I'm looking at Tampa Bay, and I'm saying, instead of looking at the Bucks of what we thought that they were going to be, can we look at this Buccaneers team as a home team with a huge defense getting points? Because if you go and you say, okay, I got a home team with a huge defense getting points at prime time, Tim, usually that's a recipe for success. For some reason, everybody loves the Chiefs in this one. What are your thoughts on the total 46? What was that, Tim? I missed that. I said, what are your thoughts on the total? It sits right around 46. You know, look, I'm, I'm leaning under. If you like the Bucs, and I'm leaning the Bucs, I don't have a play on this game. But if you like the Bucs, and I am certainly leaning the Bucs, you, you've got to like the under here, Tim. I mean, you, you just have to because you expect the game to be played in a defensive way. Mahomes last week was confused at times by that Indianapolis defense, an indie defense that has not looked good at all recently. So, yeah, you know, 46 is right there. I thought that this was going to open up bigger. I thought it was going to be 48-49 just because Mahomes is attached to it and Brady and everybody else. And I was like, oh, I'm going to jump on this under. I think they did a tremendous job. This is exactly where it gets somebody like me, professional sports better, into that range where I'm going, yeah, I can't bet it. They, they nailed the number. What are
1: your quick thoughts on Brady? I know you said that, look, Evans out, Godwin out, no offensive line, tough schedule to open the year. We're in a group, chat, and, and uh, a friend of ours always likes to give you just complete uh, chaos about Tom Brady. Any, any thoughts through week three other than he just hasn't had the pieces there with him?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I think that that's what it is, but I also think you have to understand that there's a game plan. It is a game plan to specifically not kill your 45-year-old quarterback, right? I mean, it, you take anybody out there, look at Aaron Rodgers, look at, and I'm just comparing him to him because he's got the same situation. People are looking at Aaron Rodgers and going, ah, oh, well, the reason he's got a down year is because you know, he's got no receivers. He lost Devontae Adams uh, and Bacchiari's out. Okay. Tom Brady's missing three offensive linemen. Tom Brady's missing not only Devontae Adams, he's missing, he was missing out of time four of his last year's pass receivers. It takes an adjustment period. I think Rodgers will be fine at the end of the day, and I think Brady's going to be fine at the end of the day. But it's not just their performance on the field. We've got to look at this, and we've got to look at this as, what is the head coach calling? What is the offensive coordinator calling? They're calling plays and doing things designed to not get their quarterback killed while we work in some new position players. Tom Brady's always going to have a target on his back. He's always going to be the guy of, well, you know what? Look, he's not performing. By people that just don't understand football. I mean, that's what it is. You take any quarterback in this league, Mahomes, Josh Allen, every single quarterback in this league, and you take away three offensive linemen and their top four pass receivers, let me know how they go go about it. Let me know how their head coach game plans that game. Oh, they're going to fling it all over the field? No, it's smart. The Bucs are being smart about what they're doing. They're 2-1, and Tim, right? I mean, it's not like this team's 0-3. They're 2-1 and playing a different style of football to protect Tom Brady for the long haul. That's a
1: Sunday nighter, KC at Tampa on NBC. We can squeeze in one more before the top of the hour timeout, and Tommy brought it up. This one kicks off 9.30 New York time, 6.30 Vegas time over on the NFL Network. Minnesota 2-1, New Orleans 1-2. The Saints will be the, uh, I guess they're the given home team in this game. Not that it's going to matter. That's at a neutral site in London. So in this one, Tom, we have... The Vikings,
0: three-point, quote-unquote, road favorite tomorrow morning. Yeah, look, no Jameis Winston, uh, no Michael Thomas. On the Vikings side, Kirk Cousins loses on a Monday night. Well, he always loses on Monday night football. I'm not worried about that. He's 2-10 and 10 all time. He's the worst quarterback of Monday night football. All right, I, that's fine. Dalvin Cook is banged up. He's going to try to play. I don't mind Alexander Madison. What does bother me, though, is that Justin Jefferson just can't seem to break out. He had an amazing first game. He's been completely silent and absent since then. Everyone's talking about guys underperforming like Austin Eckler's of the world out there, and you are going, well, Justin Jefferson's done nothing since game one. And now he's got to go up against Lattimore, one of the best cornerbacks in the league. But how can you have any confidence in this New Orleans offense without Michael Thomas, without Winston? Guess what? Even if they were both in there, I still don't have any confidence in them. New Orleans was shut out for the first three quarters against Carolina. Okay. We watched uh, the game before that. Winston had to have a fourth quarter comeback because they couldn't score at all. Alvin Kamara is absent. He's missed. I mean, he's caught only five passes. (laughs) I mean, are we kidding? You know, in the last two games, 19 yards. uh, It's just not what we were used to. And Winston, by the way, five interceptions, 11 sacks. So even if he was in there, I don't have faith. But the five interceptions could be Winston's fault. The 11 sacks aren't. So this is a weak offensive line, a beaten up unit on on the wide receiver side of things, a backup quarterback against Minnesota. And you're going, Minnesota's got some problems. But man, isn't this a get right game? It may not be for Justin Jefferson. I'm not a guy that's taking him in daily fantasy or anything like that. But it certainly looks like a game where Kirk Cousins gets things right, takes advantage of a banged-up, beaten-up team on the road. And you're looking at Minnesota and you're going, uh, yeah, I, I should lean, they should lean on Dalvin Cook. If Dalvin Cook is banged up, do it with Alexander Madison.
1: Yeah,
0: I like the to Senators tomorrow
1: morning as well. That's 6.30 up there. Hour one in the books. Day two, we have eight. We have nine games to go in the morning slate. We'll get to them all in hour number two The T-Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio.